Well, we are continuing uh, with our study through the pastoral letters. Uh, today, we are focusing on 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. Paul, of course, in this letter is writing to Timothy to give him godly guidance as he pastored the church in Ephesus. Big problem there with men in the church, uh, some of whom were leaders who were teaching strange doctrines. Uh, Paul gives Timothy help and encouragement as he has to deal with this really hard issue. In the process, he also lays out a number of things that were to be a part of a well-ordered church. He's spoken of the need of sound doctrine uh, that holds firm to the biblical gospel. He's spoken of the importance of prayer. He's spoken of the roles of men and women in the church. And here in chapter 3 now, he's talking about the importance of appointing biblically qualified elders and deacons in the church. So this is what we see in our first main point this morning. The scriptures indicate that God desires that every local church have shepherding oversight provided through the elders, as well as servant officers who serve alongside as deacons. So we can see that both elders and deacons are important in the church since Paul deals with both of these offices here in the first 13 verses of uh, chapter 3. But before we get to that, we need to look at the verses that first speak of the relationship um, and importance of these two offices, and that would be Acts chapter 6. The early church in Jerusalem was known for its unity. Uh, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, we're told they had all things in common. So what that means is they were so committed to the Lord that a number of them were selling their possessions to be shared with others within the church who had need, whatever that might be. Truly a genuine love, just a remarkable demonstration of their love for one another. But then in chapter 6, we see that everything was not perfect. A problem rose. There came a time where there were people within the church who had need, who were not being taken care of. Here's what we read in chapter 6, verse 1. Now at, that time, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Hellenistic Jews were those Jews who actually, whose primary language was Greek. Uh, they had lived in other places in the Roman Empire. And so they were really more influenced by the Roman and Greek culture than uh, these native Hebrews were. They all believed, they're, in, they're a part of the church, that they all believed in Jesus as the Christ, but there were some significant cultural differences between them. Well, it happened that the Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked in this daily distribution of food. No indication that this was being done on purpose, but it would be easy for the Greek-speaking Jews to take offense over this. The unity of the church was being threatened. So verses 2 through 6 of Acts 6 tell us how the apostles responded to this complaint. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God nor to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. 
and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. So the instructions that the apostles give uh, serve as the pattern for what would become the office of deacon. In addition, the way the apostles describe their own role in the church gives guidance on the office of elder. Now, the apostles, of course, were unique. Uh, that particular office ceased when the apostles died. But their description of their role in the church of Jerusalem is instructive. They said it was not right for them to neglect the word of God to serve tables. They needed to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. It doesn't mean that they did not, were exempt from giving any time to serve others. Uh, but the Jerusalem church had become quite large, and they knew if they personally took on that responsibility of making sure all the widows were pop properly taken care of, then they would not have time for the ministry of the word. And as the spiritual leaders of the church, that was their priority. Well, over in the pastoral letters in 1 Timothy 3, 2 and in Titus 1, 9, those verses say that the elders must be able to teach the scriptures. They must be able to exhort the church in sound doctrine, reprove those who, have, who were teaching things that were false. So there's a parallel there. But the apostles in Acts 6 also knew that there was a huge need for men who could take the lead in serving the church in practical ways. They needed men who could come alongside as servant officers. The ministry of these men, who came to be known as deacons, was vitally important. I mean, God has made it clear that in order for his church to be rightly shepherded and cared for, there need to be both elders and deacons. The unity of the church was very important and still is. And because of the deacons who were chosen and the job that they did, unity within the brothers and sisters in Christ there in the Jerusalem church was maintained, was restored through the ministry of the deacons. So, so deacons especially focus on practical matters that are hugely important. Their assistance to the elders to make sure the church is taken care of. Deacons also take the lead in what is sometimes called mercy ministries. Giving time to those in need. Uh, the Bible especially speaks of uh, widows and orphans. And God places great value on ministries of this sort. James 1.27 says, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So mercy ministries are considered pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. You can't get much greater praise than that. Next we need to see this, our second main point. The servant leadership that the deacons provide is important in enabling the local church to live as the household of God, the church of the living God, and being the pillar and support of the truth. So back in 1 Timothy 3, after Paul gives the, his directions, his instructions for the deacons and qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, he says this in verses 14 and 15. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. We're going to look at these verses in more detail next week. 
But these three descriptions, household of God, church of the living God, and pillar and support of truth, put the church really in a category above all others. I mean, God loves his church deeply. It's an unspeakable privilege to actually be a member of the household of God. And anyone who is a member of the, of the local church, that's who, what's what we are. And we see from Acts 6 and from 1 Timothy 3 that the offices of elder and deacon are both vital to the flourishing of the household of God, to the flourishing of the church. Giving attention to sound doctrine is vital. Paul has been very clear in, that, in this letter. But it's just as important that there be servant officers to make sure the practical needs of the church and the people are also addressed. Oh, our great shepherd loves his sheep. So with the importance of the deacon ministry in mind, Paul gives instructions to guide the church in choosing them. So read for you 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So the first thing we see on this list is that deacons are to be people of good character, men of good reputation. Men of good reputation. The word used in verse 8 is the word dignified. It's a general term that really is defined by the list of requirements that follow after it. And it's really similar to the apostles telling the Jerusalem church to look for men of good reputation. It's the same idea. These are not perfect men, but they are men of character. So let's look at five descriptions of a man of a good re reputation. First is this, their speech. Their speech is characterized by integrity. Verse 8 says it this way, not double-tongued. It speaks of saying one thing to one person, but then saying a different thing to someone else. In other words, the double-tongued person is driven by the fear of man. Therefore, they are willing to compromise the truth. They are willing to be deceptive and insincere in their words because of their fear of man. Deacons need to be opposite of that. They need to have integrity of speech. They are honest. They are truthful. But they're also careful about what they say. They're not going to disclose information that doesn't need to be disclosed. It needs to, it needs to be kept confidential. They're going to avoid gossip. They're going to avoid slander. And since deacons are often working, helping people in need, they need to be people who have integrity, men who have integrity of speech. Second, they show self-control in regard to their appetites. Paul again says this in a negative way where he says they must not be addicted to much wine. So first he speaks of self-control in speech, and now he's speaking of self-control as far as appetites are concerned. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, wine is a mocker. A strong and strong drink, a brawler, whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Opposite of not being wise is to be foolish, to drink to excess. Deacons are not to be foolish or to be wise. This is another one of the, one of the characteristics that was given in Acts chapter 6 that said the men that they were supposed to choose were supposed to be wise. 
So that's implied here in this one about self-control as far as their appetites are concerned. Of course, it makes sense to see this as an example of appetites in general. I mean, self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. No one is going to have perfect self-control. But by the Spirit of God, we're to fight against being controlled by alcohol, drugs, sexual temptation, smartphones, whatever it might be. So the third aspect of being a dignified man is this. They are content, not greedy. Content, not greedy. It's described in verse 8 as not being fond of sordid gain. That's the idea of obtaining money or other things in dishonest ways, which of course includes stealing, but it would also speak of using money that's allotted to you, like in the budget, and not, not using that in dishonest ways. It would include using your position or your influence to get financial gain at the expense of others, not doing that. The deacon instead is content. Deacons oftentimes handle money, other people's money, money from the church budget. They need to be people who can trust it to, hand, be handled, to handle that money wisely and honestly. The fourth thing Paul says is this. They have a good understanding of the Christian faith and serve the Lord with a good conscience. Good understanding of the Christian faith. The deacon ministry is not focused on the ministry of, uh, of teaching the word of God like the elder ministry is although deacons can still be teachers. But here we see that deacons are to be men who are clear about what the gospel is. They are clear about the basics of the Christian faith. Paul described it as holding to the mystery of the faith. Mystery in the Bible speaks of the divine truth that was once hidden but has now been made known. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that that mystery was revealed to him by God, and that is what he preached and what he wrote about, was revealing that mystery. He describes it in Ephesians 3 verse 4 as the mystery of Christ. So the mystery answers the question of how can a God who is perfectly holy, righteous, and just, how can that God forgive sinners? Is there any hope for us because we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory? Well, the mystery of Christ gives a glorious, yes, there's hope. Yes, we're under the deserved condemnation of God, our creator, the one to whom we're supposed to give an answer for our life. We have sinned against God's holy law, and in God's righteous goodness, he hates that. But he's also a God of grace and mercy. In his grace, he sent his son to be the savior. Jesus was fully God, fully man, Therefore, the perfect mediator between God and man. As the righteous one, Jesus was crucified on the cross as a substitute for sinners, rose again from the dead to fully accomplish salvation for all who would believe. And when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we are brought into the household of God. Our life is then lived as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the mystery of the faith. It's a glorious, life-changing, eternity-altering mystery. And every Christian, every deacon, needs to clearly understand that faith. And not only understand it, but it says hold to that faith with a clear conscience. That speaks of having a genuine faith. It's a faith that informs really every aspect of life. 
This man is not a Christian in name only, but also in the way he lives his life. That's what it means to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The final area that speaks of a man of good reputation is this. If married, they are a one-woman man and have a well-ordered household. We saw this in the qualifications for the elder as well. One who can identify a person who holds to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience is how they behave within their family if they're married. It's one way to identify them. Paul says this, says it this way in verse 12, Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own household. As we noted last week, the phrase there, a husband of one wife, is more literally translated as one woman man. So the husband is focused, therefore, on his wife. Now, one question that comes up here that we didn't talk about last week, because I thought we'd talk, we'd go and do it this week, is the issue of divorce. Is this addressing someone who is divorced? I believe, and there's different thoughts on this, but I believe the Bible allows for divorce in two situations, basically. First, Jesus allowed for divorce on the grounds of sexual immorality. And then second, Paul allowed for divorce when a non-believing spouse leaves the believing spouse. So it's possible to be divorced on biblical grounds. But if a man is divorced on biblical grounds, they still have to be a person of good reputation. So the relationship with the former spouse and the children are going to have to be considered as well there. The one-woman man must be a good leader of his children and of his household. He disciplines his children when necessary, actively teaches, and gives spiritual leadership at home. So these are the qualifications that Paul says that he lays out for the man who would serve as a deacon in his local church. And then he tells us the responsibility the church has in choosing those deacons. Verse 10, these men must also first be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So what Paul is saying here is our next point. The elders and the local congregation make an assessment of their life and ability to serve as a deacon. That's what it means to be tested. That's what happened in Acts 6 as well, you remember. The apostles gave the congregation guidelines. The church came up with seven men to recommend. They were presented to the apostles for further approval and were then set apart for their deacon ministry. So the congregation has a key role in both the recognition of those who are qualified to serve as elders as well as those who would serve as deacons. Well, after that, Paul adds something else that needs to be considered here. This is verse 11. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. The word is translated women, women, there, can mean either women or wives. It's either one is, is, an, is an appropriate translation. It's the context that determines what it is there. Well, in light of the context, it seems likely Paul has a specific category of women in mind here. Three main possibilities. He could be speaking of women who assist deacons in their ministries. I mean, there's just, and this really speaks to the fact that there's just a variety of ways that women serve in the church and ministries that they have. So it could be speaking specifically of that. Paul could, secondly, could be speaking of women who were deacons themselves. 
The one thing that makes that a possibility is that after speaking of deacons, Paul says women must likewise be. So does he mean that this category of women is an office of deacon as well? That's another possibility. The other possibility is that Paul is speaking of the wives of the deacons. Two other times in this particular chapter, the same word is used, and both times it clearly is referring to wives. And as we just saw in verse 10, Paul called for the men considered as deacons to be tested, but he doesn't say that for the women. So that seems to be inconsistent if he's speaking of uh, women as deacons. And it does make sense that Paul would include characteristics for the wives of deacons because in many cases they're probably going to be helping with the ministries. So most of the commentators that I have read believe that the women spoken of in verse 11 are those who are married to one who is serving as a deacon. I think that's probably the best interpretation here. So in point C we see this. The wives of deacons can be a big help to their husbands and they too are to be people of good character. They, too, are to be people worthy of respect, people of good reputation. Qualifications are very similar to those who would serve as deacons. First is this, their speech is characterized by integrity. Literally, he says, not malicious gossips. So it speaks of refraining from slanderous speech about other people. Malicious gossips obviously are going to cause division. Remember that one of the main purposes of the deacon ministry is to help and enable the unity within the body. Integrity of speech is important there. So it also means speech that is kind, understanding, encouraging, discerning, integrity of speech. The second way she's to be an example of good character is this. They show self-control in regard to their appetites. The word used as temperate can refer to sobriety in the use of wine, but it speaks of more than that. It's a sobriety as, as far as a person's overall speech, character, conduct. It would also include self-control and maybe in a balanced judgment. Finally, for the wife of the deacon to be a person of good character, it should be said that they are faithful Christians. Literally, it says faithful in all things. To be faithful is to be loyal, trustworthy, reliable. So she is first off faithful to her Lord and Savior as all committed Christians are. Her Christian faith affects how she spends her time, her duties uh, to her family, her witness to her neighbors, her responsibilities as a member in the church. And again, like every other Christian, every aspect of her life is marked by faithfulness to the Lord. Then after speaking of the deacon and his wife, Paul speaks of the significance of serving as a deacon and the blessing God gives connected with that. It's in verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So those who have faithfully served are promised a high standing. This is a degree of honor and influence that they will have, particularly within their own local church, um, where the deacon and his wife are members. They're people worthy of respect, but that respect really grows in the eyes of people as they serve Lord also grants a growth in their confidence and their faith. Oftentimes their ministry is going to expand because they've shown themselves faithful in serving the Lord and his church. Alexander Strzok makes this comment here. He says, what a tremendous privilege it is to have an honorable standing in God's house. 
It is better than having a good standing in the highest government position or in a prestigious university. God's household, his church, is the most important institution on earth. There's a remarkableness about the church of Jesus Christ that's even beyond what we're able to comprehend. The Wednesday night group uh, has been working our way through the book of Ephesians. We are currently in chapter 3. Well, in chapter 3, Paul speaks much of the mystery of Christ that, has, that came up earlier. And there's a couple of things here I want to mention. There's really three different ways that he talks about this mystery of Christ, three different applications of it. First one is this. It's a mystery that explains how people who are dead in their trespasses and sins can have new life in Christ. So it's the gospel, new life in Christ. Second, it's a mystery that explains how people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, Jew, Gentile alike, are all brought together in one body, the church. That's the second aspect of the mystery, and he spends a lot of time on that one. Third is one that we probably don't think about a lot. This is the idea that it's, it's a mystery in the sense that it's a testimony to the angelic host of the amazing grace of God's work in his church all over the world. It's a testimony to the angelic host. Angels are constantly amazed, grateful, joyful at what they see in the church. If they are, how should that affect us? Martin Lloyd-Jones made this comment about these things. He says, What we have to grasp and realize is that the Christian church to which you and I belong is the most astonishing phenomenon the world has ever seen. The Christian church is the most astonishing phenomenon the world has ever seen. He says the Christian church is more wonderful than anything seen in nature. So with that in mind... It is the highest privilege to have a high standing in the household of God, a standing that comes from being a faithful servant. Okay, I want to expand on this for us here in our, in our final point, which is this. Servanthood is highly valued by the Lord and is reflected in the service of deacons. I think it's important to note here, the focus here is deacons. The word deacon means servant. But God has called every believer to be a servant. There is no exception to that. We are all supposed to be people who serve. Serve the Lord, serve one another, serve others. Every Christian, nobody's exempt from that. And the very fact that there is a God-ordained office in the church that exemplifies service is a testimony to us of the importance and the beauty of servanthood. So first note this, the deacons are meant to call attention to, just by the way they serve and act and live, are meant to call attention to the holy and humble service of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the main images that the prophet Isaiah used in speaking of the coming Messiah was that of a servant. There are four servant songs in the book of Isaiah which are remarkable, just rich 
with descriptions of the promised Christ. I'm going to go through and give you a few highlights here. Isaiah 42, the coming servant would be one who would deal with the weak and the oppressed. He would bring light to the nations. He would open blind eyes and bring prisoners out of the dungeon. I mean, a glorious servant. Isaiah 49 is the second servant song. We read there of his compassion toward those who were under the bondage of sin. They're in darkness. They're described as being pressed with hunger and thirst and scorching heat. But the Lord comforts his people. He has compassion on those who are afflicted. He's a glorious servant, in other words. In Isaiah 50, we see that the Lord would be an exemplary and obedient servant. He gives his back to those who strike him. They will humiliate and spit on him. He's humiliated, but he's not disgraced. He constantly trusts in the Lord and relies fully on him as he serves. He's a glorious servant. Isaiah 53, we see even more clearly how he is a servant to sinners. It says, he bore our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was raised from the dead as the one who completed our salvation. Just the glorious, the perfect servant. Then when he came to earth, he washed the disciples' feet. Just the epitome of a servant. Mark 10, 45 is one of the most amazing verses where Jesus says to his disciples, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That should help us see service in a whole different light. I mean, and, and deacons here are especially what's being focused on, but, but deacons and all others who serve, as we serve, we are calling attention to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate servant. He's the one who has made service honorable and beautiful. Deacons reflect that, and that's part of the high standing that they are spoken of as receiving. Finally, we see this. It's through the ministry of the deacons and the members of local congregations that Christ continues to serve his church. That Christ continues to serve his church. Christ serves his church through its officers, through its members. The servant of God, Jesus Christ, has served us in the ultimate way by providing for our salvation. He has changed our hearts. We are new creations in Christ, and every one of us have been given spiritual gifts for the purpose of serving one another in just a multitude of ways. So many different aspects of that service, what that service looks like. So in many ways, the church serves, in some sense, as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And that's especially highlighted by the fact that deacons are one of the offices in the church. God uses deacons to remind all of us of what a high calling it is 
to serve others in the name of our great servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to thank you again for your word. I thank you just for the details that you give us here about the, about the ministry of deacon. I thank you for, uh, for Matthew McLaughlin and, and Josh Lum, who are serving as deacons in our church at, at, at present. But Lord, I thank you just for the, just the emphasis that you give here on things like that for your church, for the elders and for the deacons. So we thank you for that. Lord, I want to thank you too for the emphasis that is made here on the importance of being servants. Lord, help us to be conscious of whenever we do something that is an act of service for another person or for people in general and maybe many times things that no one will ever even know we did. Or, Lord, help us to realize how important that is and just to remind us that Jesus Christ, you're the one who exemplified what service really is all about. Lord, help us to model your service to others, to one another. I thank you for that. I mean, I just there was just so much servant-heartedness in this church, and I just want to thank you so much for that. Help us to continue to grow in that area. If you're one who's never put your faith in Christ, you have not embraced the mystery of Christ. I would invite you to do that. A prayer like this will be a way to start. Lord, I realize that I'm sinful. I realize I have not measured up at all to what God, what you've required of me. But Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I want him. I need him as my Savior. So, Lord, I turn from my sins, and I, re I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord. If you want to talk in more detail about that commitment, you can make it on your tear-off. If you're here, but those who are watching online can reach out to us through the website. It is in the name of Jesus Christ.